Thank you, Tom. Hey, uh, so we're, do- we're in the middle of a series on Song of the Lord. Is that right? Well, that's good, because that's what I brought. So I hope <laughs> it wasn't something else. I was on, um, we were driving down this morning, and uh, this, is, this is a practice for me uh, oftentimes, and some of you might be used to this as you're approaching church on Sunday morning, and you're thinking, Lord, what? You talk, start talking to the Lord. You say, Lord, what is it that the church might need to hear today? So that might be a testimony that's offered or something like that. Sometimes if you're preaching or teaching or doing some other part, you're leading worship, you're just, you, that's your mind. You want, you want to ask the Lord, and then you want to stop doing what you're doing and just listen. And so this morning, on the car ride down here this morning, I'm kind of used to that practice, but I kind of wanted to hear what my family might hear. And so we just did that in the car as a family. We just said, Lord... We're going to join your church that meets as part of Christ's community. Is there anything that you want to, us to know that should be, uh, that's needed to be heard through encouragement, through challenge, whatever it is, Lord? We just listened. It just took 10 seconds, and I asked around the car, and a couple things came up. My daughter, my eldest daughter said, he said, Daddy, he said something to me right away. He said, tell him about me. Okay, well, I can do that. That's, I was planning on doing that. I'm going to do that. And then the other thing that came up was hope. Hope. I don't know what that's about. Um, I know everybody needs hope right now, but there's something there. And so I, I'm just going to trust that uh, as I walk through the psalm that I've chosen for this morning, that that's actually what the Lord will speak to you. Okay? It's a song of the Lord, and um, I, I know this is good because when I, when I know that I need the word of God in my life uh, to speak to me, but I, I don't really know where to go in his word, I usually go to the Psalms. And so we're, we're, we're going to talk from the Psalms this morning, Psalm 34 to be exact. The Psalms, I found this, somebody said it this way, the Psalms are so good because the Psalms are the words of the people of God to God that have become the word of God to his people. And I love that, because that, 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 I think that's partly why it's so, so deeply emotional. They're honest and raw. They meet us right where we are oftentimes, and they speak words sometimes that we just don't have, right? They, they say things for us. Sometimes they bring me to places I don't even really want to go, but they allow me to go there. And the, and the great part about that in church, to preach on Psalms, is, is that Sometimes it's such a very intimate, deep, quiet place, personal kind of thing, and they allow, they give us permission to go there corporately, which is so good. They give us permission, I think, to go out of our, our private place in our mind and go places that we might not typically go and go there corporately. They teach us truth in the middle of how we feel, because how we feel is oftentimes not reliable. But his truth is. And so they challenge us in the middle of that. I want to pray another time here. uh, But before I do, I want to say one more thing. And this is a a thing of caution. Uh, Psalm, did you know that the Psalms can be read and uh, talked about and applied and used in all kinds of ways that actually keep a very vague concept of God? I mean, you might not believe that by your personal walk, but I, I, I can tell you it's true because I did it myself. I was um, in ninth grade, not a believer yet at all, but I was in this Catholic high school, and one of the classes, being in a good Catholic high school, was scripture class. 
Now, I knew nothing about Scripture other than a few stories I had overheard through some Sunday school classes. Uh, and we have this weekly assignment every single day for the whole school year to, to reflect on some piece of a psalm somewhere in the psalms. Just find one and do a little reflection on it, right? A little devotions, all right? So I did that. I took it seriously, as seriously as I could. Um, and I look back on that, and I don't know what in the world I was thinking. I mean, it's nonsense. Absolutely nonsense. It was like a Hallmark card or something. It was like, you know, it just didn't have anything to do with the very specific God that is talked about in the Psalms because I had no relationship with him. And I, so I know that people can do that. But if we, if we peer in closely and we let the Lord speak and we understand that this is speaking, this is God being revealed in his very specific nature as the great God over all things, who is Savior of all things, and also revealing that we are people desperately in need of saving, then we read those psalms differently, don't we? I think we do. I'm going to need you all to stop doing this and start responding a little bit. If you have to stand up in the middle of this, that's okay with me. But please don't nod off. I can't be that boring. I can't be. Come on, let's go. Um, so I, I know this is true because I did it myself as a kid, and then I became a believer in the Lord, and it was like my eyes were opened. I was no longer nodding off and just doing this in, in, a, in, a, in kind of a, just a sleepy kind of way. This is not about a create your own concept of God, which we like to do, if we're honest. I love thinking about how God should be and how he might fit into my life the way I want him to fit in. But that's not God. That's my creation of him. God is God, and if I would listen, and if I would pay attention, he will blow my mind over who he is and what he can do in my life, and I think it's true for you. I think the Psalm 34 in particular is going to confront us with our need for his saving, and we even hear echoes of Jesus' own words in this psalm. So I want to pray and then look at why this is such a great song of the Lord, sung by David himself based on a very specific experience that gives us some context for the psalm. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But let me pray one more time, and then I'm going to read the psalm. And we can try to put it up there. This, um, isn't that tiny? Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, but I'm going to read it to us nonetheless. So if you'd rather close your eyes and just listen, that's great. But first, Father, uh, we do submit this time to you again because it's all yours. Um, I don't really have anything to say at all, Lord, but we trust that you do. And that you'll bring it out, that it'll, we'll hear it through your own words here that were once your people's words to you. And then you'll turn them back, you'll turn them right back and speak them into our heart. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 34, this is what the uh, little note under sub subtitle says under Psalm 34. It says it's of David. And it was when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. That's the context. We'll talk about that in times. When? All times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. 
and he delivered me from all my fears. Which fears? All my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, literally bright in face, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. You know, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life, loves many good days, that he may see good? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off their memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. How many? All. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen? Amen. So we're told at the beginning of this that this is of David when he changed his behavior. I think uh, if you remember that story, that's uh, 1 Samuel 21. I think the technical way to describe what he was doing is uh, acting a fool. I think that's the way you typically describe what he was doing. Stuff like uh, writing on doorposts and stuff like that, really, and drooling and things like foaming at the mouth. Strange behavior. Strange behavior. And that's what he was doing. And uh, there's a reason for that. Because if, if you look at the whole story, David, the one who had been declared by God to be the next king, was not king yet. But God had said he would be. Remember, this is David also, who now, right now is serving the current king, Saul, who is now growing in popularity, huge popularity, and to the point where he's become famous. And this is making Saul not just nervous, but angry and jealous to the point where Saul is ready to kill him. He just wants to wipe out David because he's so threatened by him. This is the David who took down Goliath with a little bitty stone. And this David... Hears this through his good best friend Jonathan, one of Saul's sons, and he starts running. He runs. David runs away. He flees, and he comes to this place where he's, uh, he's dealing with this particular priest, and the priest sees him and says, you know, this is kind of strange. Usually David has an entourage. He's, he's second only to the king. He usually has good company. 
Now here's this man walking around in our, in our village here by himself. What's up, David? And he asks him, what's going on? What, what, are, you, what are you doing here? And David proceeds to lie, 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 lie. I mean, just lie all over the place. No truth to be found in it. I mean, just lying like crazy. How does this man find himself lying? Fear. Fear. He fears for himself. What do you do when you fear and you don't look to the Lord? You try to handle it, don't you? And the way you try to handle it usually goes pretty badly. It usually gets pretty messy. And uh, the more you try and work it, usually the bigger the mess it gets, right? Well, here's David in the middle of this lying. He gets the showbread from the priest, the, the, the bread that was about to be retired for the day so that fresh bread could be put out. He wants that. He also takes Goliath's sword. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if I had been in David's shoes, I would think this way, and I'm in the middle of lying to save my own neck, and I see Goliath's sword, the sword belonging to the guy that I took down by the power of God, I think that would maybe make me change a little bit, right? Suddenly I'd be reminded, oh, right, the Lord's running this one. I don't need to, I don't need to, I got to lie my way through this. But he doesn't, nope. He, he continues on there. And what he finds himself doing next is, is finding himself in an even bigger mess, which is usually where lying brings you. And he finds himself then captive by this king. Now, just to remind you, this is the current king of Gath, but of Philistines, the Philistines, of whom Goliath was the champion. And David's walking in with Goliath's sword. Like, not a good situation, right? Not a good situation at all. And David is going from bad to worse in the middle of this situation. Bad to worse. And somewhere in there, he starts acting a fool. Like, he starts behaving in this strange way. I just want to be clear. That is not a brilliant plan. Like, like I, I don't know if any of you, like, like how am I going to get out of this? I know, I'll just act crazy. Like, that's not, that's not, that, why would that, they know they have David. He's been, he's, he's been testified about, yep, this is David, the one. We've got him captive, and he starts acting a fool. I don't know why, but I, part of me wonders somewhere in there, because we know at some point in there, David's, his place of trust changed. It came off of himself out of desperation, and it moved to the Lord. And that's why he wrote this psalm. He wrote this psalm based on that. When did that happen? I'm not really sure. I'm a little suspicious if the Lord told him to act foolish. Like to go ahead, go ahead and humiliate yourself right now. I'm going to bring you out of this. Maybe. I don't know. But somewhere in there, somewhere in there, David's trust point changed. And it became fixed again in the Lord. And then he reflects on all that in this psalm. That's where we are when we come to this psalm. And so David says, fresh out of this, so certain after a saving experience like this, being uh, ushered away from his, his, his captives, his, his, uh, his captivity, I will bless the Lord at all times. You ever get there? Oh, it's so good when you've freshly experienced the Lord's work in your life, right? We're at an all-time high. We're on a mountaintop. We're like, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm, gonna I'm never going to stop blessing you. I'm never going to stop praising you because we've just experienced his power. Well, this is where David is. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. And then he says, let the humble hear. Are you humble? Have you been humbled? 
because I just was. So let the other humble ones hear this and be glad. Humility is a good place to be. So magnify the Lord with me, will you? Let us exalt his name together. That's the opening of this psalm. What comes next, and we can put uh, verses 4 through 10 up there, or, or at least the next part. Yeah, there we go. Is David telling his story? What just happened a little bit? He doesn't give us details. We know that because we have details in another place. But he tells us some details, and he says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. All my fears. Seek him. Be delivered from all your fears. What he says next is kind of crazy. He says, all those who do that, who look to him, will have shiny faces. This isn't like what Moses was experiencing, where people are like, whoa, this is like, you know what it's like when someone's countenance has been lifted up because of something the Lord's done. Have you been there? And people can read it on you. They can see it. They mean, they're just being around you like, Oh, I just, wow, you are, radi- they, you are radiant. That's what you say. You are radiating. I can just feel that the presence of the Lord, his work in your life just kind of coming off of you. Well, that's what he's talking about here. Their faces will be radiant. David sees in hindsight that it's the Lord that saved him. It had nothing to do with all that lying. Because lying, when you take it into your own hands and you lie about it, gets you in a worse place. There he ended up in captivity instead of being free. There are times when I'm just trying to work it. This is, this is I'm just going to share my own experience with this. I, I'm not going to pretend this is, you, you all probably don't ever experience this. You're in great places. But uh, there are times when I just try to work it. I'm in the middle of some difficult thing and I'm just trying to work it completely. 100% by my own effort. And I might even be doing it with good motives. I might even be doing it with a desire for the right thing, the right outcome. But I am trying to do it. I'm trying to make something happen. And every single time, it's a deeper mess. I mean, every single time. It just it doesn't get better. And what will happen then is I'll see my lack of trust in God. And that is this, that's the ultimate low point. Because I'll see that my own determined, stressed out, like panicked efforts lead me from one trouble to another only. That's the way it goes. But gracious God still meets me. He, like he'll meet me right there in the mess and graciously guide me out. That's, do you know that's David's experience here? That's what he's testifying to. He's, in fact, he's singing about it now. Bringing himself into an even deeper mess. And then even there, God graciously steps in and guides him out. And it's, this is humbling, is it not? Anybody feel, feel this or experience this at all? No? You all are above reproach. I'm, that's great. I'm so glad for, for you. <laughs> it's humbling because I, at these times, like, I realize I could have walked in the confidence of the Lord. I didn't have to do it my way. I know better. I know better because I've experienced his power and work before. Tons of times. 
I could have walked into this challenge that I've just experienced with peace, with confidence. I could have handled it far more successfully if I just trusted in the Lord. And we see David reflecting on that right here. Just reflecting on this. And I, I wonder, too, with particularly where it says he was acting strangely. He changed his behavior. You have to understand the situation right there. Here is a man, captive, full of fear. Full of fear. And somehow, in the middle of his behavior and desperation and crying out to God, God did what only he can do. He took the fear that was sitting on and in David and he put it on his oppressor to the point where his oppressor said, get away from me. And David ended up free. Does that sound familiar to you at all? On a spiritual level, on a spiritual level, this is what Jesus has done for us. This is what he does. We come to hear trembling, to him trembling, trembling in fear, covered over with sorrow, broken, aware that we, we have done it. We, we're in a mess. We're in a mess. And we cannot save ourselves. And we're hearing the whisper of the enemy all the time. Sometimes it's not a whisper, is it? It's a shout. And in the middle of that, as we are desperate and putting ourselves before the Lord, he takes our fear and he actually, through the cross, puts it on our enemy to where our enemy can't even be in our presence. And we experience what? Freedom. We experience freedom. Right? That's, this is the Bible. I'm not making this up. This is the Bible. The Bible says there's no fear in him. He, he leaves us free, free from anxiety, free from all those things. We are free. And now it's the devil, our, 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 our eternal enemy, Satan, our oppressor, who has to deal with fear knowing that he stands only in defeat already. This is a pretty amazing thing. And so we see a picture of that right here in David's, David's experience, and he's testifying to this. I prayed to the Lord, he says, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those then who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles Hey, do you know this? The angel of the Lord, here's another word picture. Psalms are filled with them. The angel of the Lord is a guard. He literally encamps around those who fear him. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Do you live with that reality in your mind? That you're surrounded by the, the host, the heavenly host of the Lord? This is how much he cares for us that he puts a post of angels around us at all times as we just seek him and, and, and stand or sit or, or lay down or bow before him in fear. He puts his own angels around him and defends us. And that's where we find ourselves not needing to fight our own battles. He's, he's doing it. He's, he's accomplishing this for us. Okay, let me get personal again. The hardest part of all this for me is that, that I should know better. I should really know better. And David should have known better. He should, the man is carrying the sword of Goliath, whom he took out with a puny stone. That's not a typical way to take a giant out, right? That's, that, that, that's, it wasn't just great aim on David's part. There's nothing to boast in himself there. But he's carrying 
this huge reminder that God fights his battles. He should know better. We've seen the Lord guide and provide before. Why is it that I resort to my own efforts to save myself and accomplish something when I've learned that he does it better? So it's at times like this. Let's get a little further, a little more honest. It's at times like that that I'm tempted to think that God should be done with me. Now, I know better, but anybody just willing to be honest and say you're tempted to think that? I don't, I don't mean yet that you actually think that, okay? But at least that you're tempted to think that way. And maybe the Lord should just, God should just be done with me. I mean, he's shown me his power, and here, here I go again, acting a fool. And I've experienced his grace, and I've experienced his provision, yet I've taken things into my own hands again, and I've forgotten to trust him, just simply trust him. And what I've done is I've let my fear, even an old fear, start instructing me again. I've said, fear, you be my teacher again. But the beauty of all this, this is the New Testament beauty that we see. God's grace covers that too. He doesn't, he's not done with us. Instead, what I hear, I don't know if you hear this in the middle of that, I hear, no, you are mine. You are mine. And I'm not done with you. And I never will be. I'm with you. I am over you. I will fight your battles. If you need to learn this a hundred times, I am with you. My grace covers you. My grace is sufficient for you. What I have done in my son is permanent. It's eternal. And it cannot be taken away. This is the grace of God. And so what we need to simply say again to ourselves, maybe to one another, is taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. That's what David says. This is the next part. We can go to verses um, 8 through 10. If we have, well, we'll just leave that up there. I guess that covers 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. By the way, do you know David faced off with a lion when he was a shepherd boy? Like actually face to face with it. A, li a lion. <laughs> Anybody else hear of that, that experience? Face to face with a lion without a huge gun? No. You did, you, no, you didn't. David's actually faced off with a hungry lion looking to take... Faced off with it. The young lions suffer want and hunger. I know because I've seen them, he says. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I, wanna, I think there's something worth saying right at this point. Because um, I don't know what's swirling through any of your minds right now. But maybe it's something circumstantial. Something you have uh, waited upon. You thought the Lord has said over your life, about your life. And you're right now, you still haven't seen it, and so you're doubting. When God has spoken something, like that he would install David as king, that was spoken, that was said by God. When God has spoken something, we do not need to try and accomplish it or keep it alive by our own desperate efforts. If God has said it, it's going to happen. And we don't need to make it happen. Have you been there at all? 
where you feel you find yourself in a place, well, I think I've waited long enough, Lord, and I want, I, you've said this is going to happen, but now I just really want it to happen, and I'm going to start to make it happen. And you start walking down that road. No, wait. Wait upon the Lord. Because what will happen, again, when we take that into our own hands, something actually the Lord has spoken, and we try to preserve that promise for ourselves, it often leads us into untruth, which is where David is or where he was, lying all over the place, trying to preserve not just his life, but this promise that he would be the next king for Israel, finding himself trying to preserve it for himself. There's a missionary, a former missionary, I don't know if she's still alive, Helen, uh, Helen Rosevere, um, and um, reading some of her books lately, and uh, in it she's so honest in this one particular one, and uh, she's just talking She's sort of gotten to this point in her walk where she's, all right, she's aware of the kind of the obvious sin that she has in her life, but she starts to become aware of some of that more intimate, secretive, hidden stuff that most people might not pick up on, but you're aware of it. And she starts talking about her, her tendency to exaggerate. Does anybody in here ever think of exaggeration as, oh, yep, that's something that's, I've really, that's, I found that so uh, refreshing. That she got to a point, she was at a point where she was like, I, I just tend to exaggerate things. And I know that since I tend to exaggerate things, I'm lying. I'm just lying about how things, exaggerating how things have gone in my life or someone I know, how they've gone for them. And I just find myself just totally embellishing things. And I'm not telling the truth anymore. And, and you, can, you can come up with all the, the reasons behind that, the, the reasons we tend to do that. But I, I've done that before. And she talks about just wanting to just, I just want to repent of that. I don't, why do I need to embellish and exaggerate things? That's a form of not trusting in God. I don't need to do that. I don't need to represent myself in a, in a different kind of way to convince people. I can just trust in God. David's, I think, experiencing this a little bit himself. Or we can go to those, uh, the next verses. What remains? What remains here? And I'm going to move through this more quickly. What remains is David's instruction out of his experience. I've experienced this. I'm praising the Lord. Now, now I want to tell you some things. I want to teach. And so he says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Is there anybody among you who desires life to see good? To see many days will keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Because I just didn't. <laughs> I just lied like crazy. Turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I want to talk about that for a second. Here's another word picture. We know this thing that uh, what he's saying here is turning away from evil. It's not participate in evil, not stop participating in evil, but stop participating in evil, turn away from evil, turn toward good, and start participating in good. That's called repentance. That's what that is, basically. It's an about face, a full turn. But I want you to understand, I want us to hear this apart from me doing the whole thing and actually participating in good, nothing else is going to stop me from participating in evil. 
I can, stop, I can stop doing evil. I can even turn away from evil. I can even turn toward good. But until I'm doing good, filling myself with that and, and filling my life with that, I'm probably pretty inclined to go fill myself again with the evil that I'm so familiar with. Right? I mean, it's just the way it goes. So participate in good. That's what he's talking about here. Seek peace. Pursue it. Now, this could sound a little humanist here. It can almost sound like, well, all right, it sounds like we're talking about our own works here again. But this is all based in the power of God because he starts here by saying, children, I want to teach you something. I want to teach you fear of the Lord. So can I say there is a place for fear? If that bothers you, I think I know why. It bothers me to even say that. I think most of us, especially in our current culture, have this sort of just skin-crawling kind of reaction to that. No, I'm not supposed to feel fear. I'm not, no, 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 no. I don't go there. I don't go there. I don't go there. I can't feel fear. I can't feel fear. I can't feel it. I'm not supposed to have fear. Yes, you are. You actually are. And the Bible's filled with that. But here's how this goes. I think most of the time when we hear the word fear, what we're actually hearing is anxiety, all of the emotions, all of the emotions that we oftentimes so closely associate with fear. But that's not, that's not the fear that the Bible is talking about. Fear at, at, its, at its root, what it really basically just means is reverence. Anybody have trouble with reverence? I mean, we re react all kinds of ways to the idea of fear, but we hear reverence. Oh, well, reverence is a good idea. That's No, I like reverence. We should be reverent. Yes. Fear, reverence of the Lord is actually what we need. The problem is we fear, revere all kinds of other things. We fear, revere, which is worship, by the way, all kind, the word of people, what people think of us, what, what our work is going to determine about our lives, what, what our retirement plan is, what, what the, the safety of my kids, the, the, what's, what's the situation in the land, what, what's going on in other countries, is that going to come close to me? All these different powers, politics, all these different things, what the enemy says, we fear, revere those things. And where does that, what does that bring us? Anxiety. Stress. So when Jesus in the New Testament says, do not be anxious, part of what he's saying is, stop fearing, revering the wrong thing. Because when we fear, revere all those other things, we have anxiety, which we think is fear. No. That's the result of wrongly placed fear. When we fear, revere the Lord, what do we get? Peace. Peace, joy, satisfaction. That's, that's fear properly placed. That's what David's trying to instruct us on here. I want to teach you to fear the Lord because it's so good. You'll taste him and you'll see that he is good. He continues on, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Not away. Not, he's not missing anything. He's not off distantly. You know, 
We're not trying to get his attention. They are already toward the righteous and his ear toward their cry. If we're getting a little worked up here, the righteous, you know, I'm not righteous. No, I'm not, but I am in Jesus. He's called me righteous. When I stand in him, his eyes are toward me. They hear my cry. He hears my cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, even to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Then this next part is where we'll finish with this. He He straight up just says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. I don't know if you found yourself in a, uh, uh, a place where you so desperately need to claim a good life for yourself that you find yourself denying all the actual bad things that are happening. <laughs> so I, can't, I can't acknowledge them. I can't acknowledge them because they'll, they'll take hold of me. Maybe they'll cause me to fear it wrongly again, and I'll have all that anxiety. And David just says, no, no. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. No, we, we've got trouble. There's no shortage of trouble. We have just as much trouble. In fact, we probably have even more trouble. The righteous, the lives of the righteous are filled with affliction. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But, but, the Lord delivers him out of them all. On the other hand, it says he even keeps all his bones. So if uh, uh, Jesus, our righteous one, this is a little just kind of interesting, like since we know how that story went, Uh, This is a little prophetic, right? Jesus, the righteous one himself, had no bone broken or crushed. He himself went through all the the beating and battering, all the cross, everything, still not one bone crushed. There's a sense of care. The idea of, I mean, the picture that comes into my mind is of just a little one in the womb. God just holding so gently. And the same way he holds us. No, I'm not going to let a single thing inside of you be broken. I hold you. I hold you. And so just trust me. You'll have all kinds of affliction, but I hold you. So even though we have affliction, the Lord delivers us out of them all. On the other hand, affliction slays the wicked. Affliction is the downfall of the wicked, he says. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. There's a promise there. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is hope, folks. I I don't know. What I heard in the car this morning, that wasn't what the Lord told me. He told my wife that. She said, I don't know. It seems like hope came to my mind right away. So you go ahead and take this, what the Lord's spoken to us here And you take whatever it is that you've got going on in your life, whatever is at the front of your mind or even at the back of your mind, and you bring that right to his his feet. And you say, Lord, I've heard your word, and you speak hope over this for me. Speak hope to my heart, because I might not have it. I can't conjure it up. Certainly can't look around me for it. This world's a mess. But Lord God, you're, you're a God of hope. What you've accomplished for me on the cross through both death of of my Lord Jesus and also resurrection, leaves me in a resurrected state. So Lord, I I just want to say right now, uh, will you teach us again to taste and see, just as as our Lord Jesus taught us and, and asked us to do, 
to taste and see that you are good. Amen.